Bobby, it's a really exciting week for baseball fans because we finally get to see the debut of one of the most hyped prospects in recent memory, and that is the emergence of Mac Williamson. (laughs) Oh, you're annoying. (laughs) Um, But that is true. Mac Williamson has been, he's just been Aaron Judge for the Giants this year so far. Yeah, and so we got a shout out, a former guest, friend of the pod, Austin Zimmerman, who called this during spring training uh, from Arizona, told us that Mac Williamson had retooled his, his swing. And uh, and if he got called up, we would just wait and see. And here it is. He's raking so far. He has like three home runs through his first like you know five or six games, which is sustainable if you think about it. Like he's gonna hit eighty home runs this year. Basically, if you're a scout and you listen to this podcast, I want to question your sanity, and I also want to tell you to clip those thirty seconds where Austin was just raving about Mac Williamson and give the man a job. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> What you're really talking about is the Ronald Acuna era is officially starting, and we were lucky enough to put off recording this podcast long enough that he would actually make his debut. So I, for one, feel like our procrastination was actually worth it. I think it was worth it, honestly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so a couple days ago, the Braves made it official. They called Acuna up to the big leagues. He is uh, probably one of the more hyped prospects in the last two or three years. And at such a young age. Yeah. yeah, at such a young age. And probably would have been, I mean, depending on your source, he would have been the top prospect in baseball this year, if not for Shohei Otani. And, uh, but now we got that Otani kid out of the way. He's done his thing. He's a scrub, we all know. Yeah, we're over it now. Yeah, yeah. He's old news. Um, we're really excited to see Ronald Acuna play. And frankly, the Braves low-key are one of the more fun-to-watch teams in baseball right now. Like, they have so much fun young talent already at the Major League level, and it's really nice. I forget where they were talking about this. It was probably effectively wild, but they were mentioning how the Braves, for the longest time, because of the 90s teams, because of those four starters that were just incredible, they sort of had the organizational mindset that they would rather build around pitchers than hitters, and how it's just kind of statistically proven and... um really not arguable that it's better to build around bats because they have less of an injury likelihood and once you assemble a lineup that just is extremely like on the positive end at the top of the league in run scoring and then you're just much more likely to beat up on bad teams i think um because you know bad teams usually have a below average pitching staff and so they're kind of going away from that which is not good for me (laughs) as a mets fan but if you're a braves fan uh, how did you find us? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it is interesting because they. it feels like they have, while they've shifted away from it, it still seems to be a somewhat guiding philosophy that they still love their high upside pitchers. And so now they have combined a, a lot of young offensive talent, guys like Acuna and Ozzy Albies and uh, Dansby Swanson and Freddie Freeman, who's one of the best hitters in baseball, even though no one really talks about that. 
they have Freddie Freeman's beard is too perfectly trimmed <laughs> freaks me out kind of yeah he's an interesting <laughs> character <laughs> he's but, awesome but like I know he just needs to let it grow out a little bit he looks a little bit too uptight <laughs> Chill out, dude. Oh, maybe it's a new era, man. This is the—he's got the young talent coming up. He can finally let loose. He doesn't have to be like the—I uh, don't know—the the clean-cut guy anymore. You know. So you're saying that he's going to let it grow out now? Maybe he will. This could. Maybe he's turning a corner. Freddie, man, I got a good barber for you. <laughs> Although that said, I, I feel like if you've been this good for this long with this level uh, beard, maybe don't change anything. Like you're 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 doing something right. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah. The so, Mets were playing the Braves last week, and he's just like, double off the wall, double off the wall, double in the gap, home yeah, run. Yeah. You know, it's just like, he can hit to the opposite field out of the shift. I don't know why more people don't talk about him, because that apparently is the only thing that matters. <laughs> why can't more guys hit to the opposite field out of the shift? Yeah, pretty much. So they have a really fun lineup, and they also have a decent amount of high-risk pitchers who, like, they probably can't stay healthy, and they probably can't throw strikes. But if they can do one of those things, they're going to strike out all of the batters, <laughs> which means, I don't know, the, I mean, the Braves have gotten off to a really hot start. And I feel like it's, a, it's, a, it's April in 2018, and we're sitting here being like the Braves are one of the most fun teams in baseball, which I didn't expect coming into the year. The NL East is so loaded. It's stacked. It went from being the worst division. I mean, I guess this is like how this works, you know, like the, yeah. the life cycle of baseball, yeah. that it went from being so bad. In 2015, when the Mets won, it was solely... When the Mets went to the World Series, it was solely because the rest of the division was hot garbage for the entire year, Nationals included. And the Phillies were, like, the worst team in the league. They lost, like, 105 games. And the Braves were just... You know, they lost their usual 92 games or whatever it was. And now they have to deal... Now the Mets have to deal with all of these young stars on the Braves. Not to mention they have to deal with Julio Tehran, who dominates them every single time. So, uh, yeah. I don't feel good about the Mets standing right now. (laughs) Although, I think they probably remain in first. They might have dropped to second now. But um, we're recording this on a Thursday, not long after the Mets blew the game in the ninth inning, as they do, and then lost via walk-off in the 13th inning to the fucking Cardinals. (laughs) (laughs) So frustrating. Uh, That's pretty funny, actually. Jose Martinez is the new Met killer. Yeah. He tied the game in the ninth inning, and then he was the winning run. Yeah. He's hitting like 600 against them uh, this year. How do the Cardinals find these guys? I don't know. Oh my god, it's he so does, frustrating. The worst part is that he's like anti-Cardinals in a way. Like, you know, the Cardinals find these guys who are like fundamentally sound. You know, they play the game the Cardinal way or whatever, which just means they're white and boring. But Martinez is not that. He has a really weird batting stance. And you would not teach anyone to play the way that he plays. And it's so like anti-Cardinals in that way. Even like some of their you know, more fun mainstays. Like, Yachty, he is, like, the most fundamentally sound player maybe in the entire league. But Martinez is just up there waving his bat around and sort of lunging at everything. And even defensively, he sort of looks a little... He looks gangly. Like, he doesn't really look like a baseball player. He looks like he should be playing, like, basketball or, you know, running track because he has these huge long legs. And I'm like, there is no... There is no quarter of baseball that you can't find players that are bad, and then they just turn to be good. Yeah, it's so frustrating. He got up there, and he was like, uh, who's Albert Pujols? That's... Ah, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah, man. They're just gonna bother me forever. Yeah. It's like, they're not even in my division. Why do I continue to be haunted by them? I know. I, Cardinals fans, if you're listening, consider yourselves lucky. Can we talk about something that's not the Mets losing to the Cardinals? Yeah. 
we could talk about something that's a little more positive for you. Yeah, let's do it. And that's Sean Mania is apparently Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> First no-no of the year, baby. Yeah, against a team that hadn't been no-no'd in like 10 years. Yeah, and was off to like a franchise good start. Offensively and record-wise. Yeah. So if you don't know and you've been living under a rock and or you've forgotten something that happened six days ago, which was me before we started recording this, Sean Mania, no hit the Red Sox about a week ago. Uh, for the first no-hitter of the year, and um, yeah, basically that's it. It wasn't really, like, it wasn't the most dominant no-hit performance ever, but it was pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, taking into consideration who he was throwing it against, right? Like, I mean, that lineup is stacked. Oh, my God. Mookie Betts is so good. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's really not fair. Yeah. Um, Not to mention that, like, even some guys who should be good, like, Andrew Benintendi hasn't been hitting at all this year. But yeah, Sean Manaya, it was a good performance. I don't know if you saw any of the highlights um, because there were a couple controversial plays. That, yeah. Like, uh, everyone was talking, especially Red Sox tweets were like, huh, huh, nice two hitter that Sean Manaya is throwing right now. And I'm like, all right, bro, take a chill pill. You're the best team in baseball right now. You don't need to be quibbling over whether or not you got no hit. Who cares? Red Sox fans are potentially the most butthurt franchise. <laughs> Absolutely. And for what? Yeah, especially what? given given your last decade and a half. Yeah. It's fine. You're going to be okay. I don't know why they have to take everything so personally. I don't know. Like, Mets fans are really fatalistic, and they're they're very anxious, and every time something goes bad, they immediately feel terrible. But, like, Red Sox fans... It doesn't have an, even have to do with the fact that the team is bad or anything. It's just like when something happens to them, they just take it very personally. Yeah. Or if so you like, like Sean Benias shouldn't have known us. Yeah. If you Why like, would he do that? If you like call it out, like if you were to say to a Mets fan, hey, the Mets aren't doing so great this year, they'd stick their head in their hands and be like, oh my God, I know. And Nothing's you, ever going to be good ever yeah, again. And if you said it to Red Sox, he'd be like, oh, well, I would, uh, I would dispute that. I mean, uh, given that, I don't know, man. Which is weird because the Red Sox used to be like the Mets fans, yeah. like ever since you know they had the big drought and everything, yeah. and they had everything go wrong in 1986. Not to not to bring up the Mets last World Series <laughs> or anything like that, you know, won it seven games. This little guy named Mookie Wilson, Bill Buck. No, okay, um, <laughs> but no, yeah, you're right. Sean Mania, shout out to him. Who would have thought the A's would be the first team to throw a no hitter? The mm-hmm. A's, yeah, who we talked about as having potentially the worst pitching rotation in the entire league yeah well they just uh they just demoted kendall graveman who was their opening day starter so things aren't necessarily peachy over there but yeah you know they're hanging in there man that didn't take long (laughs) it's also interesting because i'm getting no hitter alerts on a week on a weekly basis right now yeah they're overdoing it it's yeah i know well (laughs) a no hitter into the sixth inning is not interesting i mean i start paying attention after six like you've gone six full. like if you've gone six no hit innings like that's usually when i start paying attention i don't i'll start paying attention in like the seventh or eighth <laughs> well i mean yeah so i start paying attention like at the beginning of the seventh when you come back out for the seventh inning like that's when i turn on tyson ross's where he almost literally <laughs> threw his arm off bruh why would they leave him in what he, the hell was andy green doing there was no way he was getting out of that no there was no way he was at 115 pitches and walking dudes on four pitches with no outs in the oh, eighth. Oh, my God. What is he going to do? Immediately get three straight ground balls? Yeah. And then three more ground balls in the ninth inning? That is that that is the only way he was making it through that. Not to mention, this is a guy who can't who hasn't been able to stay healthy over the last two years. And you're like, you know what? We're just going to push him. So what if he throws 140 pitches? Nothing bad can come of this. <laughs> God. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was, that was kind of a mess. But Tyson Ross, he looked... 
he looked like kind of sad but when the when andy green came out to get him out he was just like yeah, yeah he's kind of resigned what am i supposed <laughs> like, to say yeah. here <laughs> he didn't really have any he didn't have any ground to stand on this with that one yeah so we talked a bit about how the a's offense has been very good this year but uh i believe we'd like to present you with a counterpoint <laughs> to that uh storyline yeah the counterpoint comes from our man i don't even know who this guy is he but he's verified on twitter his name is ben maller self-described storyteller <laughs> provocateur rabble rouser raconteur professional blabbermouth raconteur sarcasm specialist doctorate in insomnia dang bro do you, do you stay up late <laughs> Distant relative of Nostradamus. Oh my god. I'm kind of mad that you found my alt, man. <laughs> I found your, your burner account. Yeah. Which is verified and has 50.1 thousand followers. How many he of those? Has, he has how many? 50.1 Like thousand. five zero? Five zero. How many my of those do you think are real, goodness. though? Oh, so They're few. all Russian bots. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this is a little side note. He has, a, he has com as his website in his description. If you click to that, it's just... It's a white page with Microsoft Word art at the top of his name and then an embed of his Facebook posts from six years ago and nothing <laughs> else on the page. Okay. Honestly, um, this is what I'm modeling my website after from that's, now on. That's this fair. is what employers want to see. Scrap what you already have. Yeah. Scrap what people seem to enjoy about your website and just go with this. Oh, this is what they teach me in journalism class about building a portfolio. That's actually true. I took coding classes. Oh, my this God. My, they... my Facebook posts from six years ago, prime oh stuff. My God. <laughs> it's like Green Day lyrics. <laughs> Mine are like My Chemical Romance lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is going to be the next. It's going to be a mini version, but it's going to be the next in our installation of reading bad takes on yeah, the podcast yeah, and roasting the, them the dramatic uh, hot take reading series so he tweeted at 7 53 p.m on april 24th <laughs> set the scene <laughs> it's a cold rainy night um <laughs> uh, he tweeted breaks first of all he spelled breaks wrong i couldn't even get through the first word of this fucking tweet <laughs> he spelled the version of breaks that he's referring to are like breaks on a car but he spelled it like breaks as in breaks his ankle he says, brakes have been pressed on Shohei Otani choo-choo train of hype for angels. And then it's just a screenshot of what looks like a, a Google Doc or a Word Doc that he also wrote because I guess he couldn't fit it all into the tweet. And it says, I like how he headlined it. It's kind of quasi-headlined from Babe Ruth to reality as if he's writing like a think piece. <laughs> and then it says, Shohei Otani against A's parentheses T-ball lineup. <laughs> 2 and 293 ERA with a... 093 batting average allowed, two walks, 18 Ks, and two starts. Shohei Otani against Red Sox slash Astros lineups. 0 1, 859 ERA with 278 batting average allowed, seven walks, eight Ks, and two starts. Wow. T ball lineup. He roasted us, man. Do you have thoughts on that? The T ball lineup? Uh, it's, it's just not true. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Like, they've been one of the best offensive teams in baseball. The A's had a funny response on Twitter to this. Yeah. I don't have it in front of me, but they basically did that stupid SpongeBob meme that makes me laugh every single time with the lowercase and uppercase letters. Yeah, and just showed by, like, hits and home runs and batting average and... Runs. Yeah. Oh, but he had a counter for that. Someone responded to him saying, someone quote tweeted him saying, the A's are third in MLB and runs scored, and he pitched against Boston, he, meaning Otani, Pitched against Boston with uh, a blister on his finger. 
And Ben Maller had to say, Ben Maller had to say, Otani media fanboys have endless excuses. Hashtag yawn. <laughs> I like how he hashtagged his yawn. And then someone responded saying, do you watch baseball? Classic. Got him there. Do yeah. you even watch the game, bro? Yeah. <laughs> he said, yeah, what, what was his clap back? What was his clap back to that? <laughs> he clapped back, man. <laughs> This goes back to, I made this point about Michael Wilbon last week. He was making a similar point, but he was making it in passing, though. And this guy's just kind of really sticking to it. Yeah. Uh, this A's, is the hill he wants to die on. Apparently. A's run total inflated by handful of high-scoring games. Oakland put up 56 runs in five games. 11.2 runs per game. Thanks for the math, Ben. <laughs> in other 19 games, athletics have scored rather pedestrian 3.6 runs per game. Hashtag facts. Hashtag do you watch baseball. <laughs> Oh, wait, and he, that tweet, with his 50.1 thousand very real followers, that tweet got nine likes and 58 replies. Nice. The ratio. The golden <laughs> ratio. Oh, God. You no know, retweets. Not one, not one of his 50.1 thousand followers thought that that was worth a retweet. Okay, so... His very real Russian <laughs> bot followers. It didn't have the word Trump in it, so it didn't get any retweets. <laughs> okay, if you think about it, like, if you do take out the games in which the A's scored a lot of runs... They haven't scored very many runs, and yeah. no and no one's talking about this. Okay, Mike Trout may have hit 10 home runs this season, but if you take out the games where he's hit 10 home runs, he has no home runs. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, my God. Math. Yeah, come on, man. It's good. Yeah. It's good stuff. It is good it's stuff. It's not like in those five games they scored, like, 30 runs. Like, yeah. they scored... 11.2 runs in those per game in those games it's which not, is like that's a lot that's not sustainable for a whole season yeah but like also it's not like these were it's not like you had catchers who were pitching it's not like these are all position players or something <laughs> they were playing against other major league pitchers <laughs> i don't understand if you take out the games in which they played community colleges in the greater <laughs> bay area <laughs> they're basically only scoring two runs per game God. you know what i he's sticking to his word he is a provocateur and I respect that. I think you forgot the fact that he's also a rabble rouser. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you heard it here first. Shohei Otani's bad. I also want to say his Twitter picture. Come on, Ben. You got to do better, guy. I invite everyone to go look at it, but it's just it's him outside his front door at night in a suit. And you can kind of see inside to the lamp inside his house. I'm not really sure. Why is he standing outside his own house? I think someone take a picture of him. Just go inside, my guy. It's probably a privacy thing, man. He's probably a hashtag libertarian conservative thinker. <laughs> he doesn't want people to see any more than the lamp. Ben, I can see the lampshade, man. It's telling me a lot about you. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to get weird. We're going to be like, we know where you live, Ben. <laughs> okay, but since we're on the topic of who may or may not be Babe Ruth, we got to talk about another pristine take from the baseball world. And this didn't come from a guy with Russian bots as followers. This came from a relatively well-respected uh, USA Today columnist. I would say very well-respected. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 200,000 Twitter followers. Uh, Bob Nightingale. He decided to make the... Uh, so so if, you, if you weren't aware, Didi Gregorius has been very good this year. And, and we're he's gonna, now the best player of all time. And we're going to talk about that a little later on the show. He's good. Um, but... Here's the thing, is not only is he good, he may be the best Yankees player of all time. <laughs> so uh, uh, Bob Nightingale's tweet, and I'll just read it to you. It says... Make sure you keep the hashtags in there. <laughs> the New York hashtag Yankees <laughs> always thought their greatest trade in franchise history was stealing Babe Ruth. 
from the hashtag Red Sox. Dun, dun, dun. Pause. They did steal him. <laughs> the Didi Gregorius heist from the hashtag D-backs is now entering the discussion. The dude is hitting 364 with nine homers, 29 RBIs, and a staggering 1290 OPS. Okay. <laughs> well, if you take out the games that Didi Gregorius was bad and the games that Babe Ruth was good, then what we're talking about here is a, a true fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 22 Bob. games actually does make him better than literally one of the greatest baseball players let's, of all time. Let's pump the brakes on this <laughs> one a little bit. Let's pump the brakes, B-R-E-A-K-S. <laughs> I, oh my god. You, I'm sorry, you deserve to get ratioed and roasted for this. Which, he didn't even get ratioed. Like, 1.4 thousand people thought that this was a good tweet and favorited it. Maybe they thought it was a joke? Yeah, maybe. I don't... So, Didi Gregorius, maybe a better trade than Babe Ruth? A better acquisition? Yeah, I buy it. Babe Ruth, who had, what was it, like 714 home runs in his career? Babe Ruth. We Again, we're talking about Babe Ruth. Not like, not not Babe Ruth. We're talking about <laughs> Babe Ruth, like the real one. Like, you've, we've, we've all seen the think pieces just over the last couple of weeks. It's like Didi Gregorius is making Yankees fans forget about Derek Jeter. And fine. True. Be, which Derek is, Jeter's bad. Yeah. That's, that's going to be my next tweet. I mean, and that's a Come fine on the pod take. Next because... week and roast myself. <laughs> because there was a there was kind of a question about like, okay, who's going to take over at short? Well, the interesting thing is they also have Glaber Torres. I don't know, man. Glaber Torres, who has an alarming amount of weak singles up the middle for base hits. Yeah, he's had like seven already. I don't know, man. I didn't even take the time to like go back and look through and find any other trades that might be better than this because there's literally no point because Dita Gregorius again love him amazing player great twitter follow if you don't already follow him because he tweets start spreading the news yeah, after every single Yankees every game. single win with like 40 emojis in it yeah it's the best thing ever and it just brightens my day but he's been good for like a year and a half y'all <laughs> let's <laughs> let's take it down a notch also in the juiced ball era at Yankee Stadium with yeah. the short right field porch. Yeah. And, like, he's really good. Yeah. But he's not Babe Ruth. Yeah. Also, I can't even believe we're having this conversation. I know. I know. Obviously, we're, he's we're, not Babe Ruth. We're seriously dissecting it. I think the only logical solution for this conversation in this tweet is that 50 years from now, you and I have to make Sandlot the reunion, or we just need to remake it entirely. And it's going to be a D.D. Gregorius signed baseball that they hit over the fence. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be some kind of robot dog that they have to run away from. Again, this is not D.D. slander on this podcast because I will not accept that because D.D. Gregorius is sincerely one of the loves of my life. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Uh, Jalen and Jacoby, they're with their, they have an ESPN radio show and a TV show now. They have a no slander list where there's just a list of guys where... You know, their producers come up with topics and whatnot, and they, they want to, like, hot take about it. They want them to, like, hot take a little bit about it because they're on ESPN Radio or whatever. And over the years that they've been doing their show, Jalen is basically just, like, he puts people sometimes on there that, that are on the no slander list. And no matter what happened with that guy in, like, the previous day, he refuses to talk bad about them. And he just recently put Russell Westbrook on that list, which is, like, that's a hot take in itself. Yeah. <laughs> But we're putting DD on the no slander list. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty I much everyone in the MLB who doesn't do something racist or violent is on the no slander list. We don't like to slander people. Yeah, that's not the point of this. <laughs> but we will slander you if you have a bad take like this. I think the answer is 
he has to relinquish his column, maybe, and, yeah. and give it give to it us. us. Yeah. yeah, we have to take over all of his Twitter followers. <laughs> we now just have two hundred thousand Twitter followers. Actually, two hundred and one thousand because we already had fifteen hundred of our own. Yeah, man, you, you heard, you heard, you heard, you heard it, it first. Yeah. <laughs> Start spreading the news. <laughs> all right, uh, when we come back, some serious, actual conversations about Didi and the rest of the Yankees. I know there's lots of love in your heart, but who are you gonna give it to? I'm sure there's lots of guys that you see, but I swear the night is cool. Alright, now that we've sort of put D.D. Gregorius and the Yankees in perspective, let's totally blow that out of the water and talk about them crazy. So, D.D. Gregorius actually is Babe Ruth, <laughs> is the thing so far this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, he has... So we <laughs> we just roasted uh, our, our good friend Bob for talking about how good Didi's been, and now we'd like to point out that Didi Gregorius is hitting 372 on the year. What? Yeah. Well, the whole knock on him was like he was a solid defensive shortstop, and he had decent contact skills, but they would never really turn into any legitimate power skills. Um, yeah, it was like he'd always be like a light hitting shortstop who like can make some contact and like hit a few home runs and like maybe steal a couple bases, but it's like mostly his defense. And now it's both. He was just like, "Oh, you mean I just have to hit the ball over the fence?" Oh, that's all it takes. That's all it takes, man. That's what Okay, so I jokingly so I jokingly said now we're getting to our favorite segment, which is where we we just read out the tipping pitches account tweets. Yeah. Oh, I think this is the fourth tweet we're reading on the show. <laughs> Well, I jokingly said, like, you know, fly ball revolution, whatever, everyone's trying to hit home, more home runs, but it's not even like he's trying to lift the ball more. I don't know, maybe he is, but all of his home runs are just straight up line drives. Like, he just followed the model of, I'm just going to get better. I'm just going to start hitting more home runs. It's like it never really even occurred to him before that. And I was at the Yankee game on Tuesday night uh, when they played the Twins. They beat the Twins, as they always do. And Jose Barrios pitched. And Jose Barrios... No joke. Really good pitcher. Filthy stuff. He missed with one changeup. Didi put it halfway up the second deck. <laughs> like, that is not the Didi... Like, that is just not the Didi Gregorius. Hard name to say when we're talking fast, but <laughs> that is not the Didi that was on the team two years ago. It's just simply... He's an entirely different player. His profile is just completely different as a baseball player now. Yeah, it's wild. Um, Because he... So he, like, officially, I guess, broke out in 2016 so he hit 276 that year with 20 home runs very good showing for a player who also had a pretty good uh defensive year too so it's like okay um the yankees got this dd gregorius guy and now all of a sudden he can hit a little bit that's great he's uh i think he was like you know 26 27 at the time it's like this is probably his offensive max and then the next year he hits 287 with 25 home runs and people are like all right, but like, let's be real. This is a ceiling right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> now he's up here. He, uh, we haven't hit the end of April yet, and he's already posted two wins. Oh, two point two WAR over like four weeks. That's good. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> he's hitting third on a team with Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, and John Carlos Stanton. Yeah, it's mind blowing. That's essentially all you need to know. And I know Stanton has been very bad, and he got booed. A lot. He struck out three times and almost grounded into a double play in the game that I went to. Yeah. So, naturally, Yankees fans did the whole earn your pinstripes booing, which is dumb. Yeah. But uh, that's a different conversation. But even still, like, the fact that Gregorius has gotten to a point in his career where a new manager doesn't feel the pressure to bat 
Giancarlo Stanton, reigning NL MVP and home run king, who is in this era of StatCast launch angle and velocity, is like a god among men. Doesn't feel the pressure to bat him above Didi Gregorius. Like, yeah, yeah, it's wild. Not, it's not like Didi Gregorius is hitting the ball particularly hard. I mean, he's probably getting some help from playing in Yankee Stadium. Um, oh, definitely. But and, he's one of those guys that was, I think, really helped. Not to cut you off, but like really helped by the change in the ball. Like he's one of those guys that hits those borderline home runs that might have been doubles off the wall. I say doubles off the wall instead of like warning track flyouts because he doesn't really hit big fly balls. He does hit a lot of line drives. Yeah. So they might have been doubles off the wall or they might have just been snagged at the last second. But even still, like just him as a player, like he wasn't hitting doubles off the wall two years ago either. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was hitting like soft contact line drives um, or just grounding out. Yeah. He really does not hit the ball particularly hard just looking at like stack cast numbers. And this, you know, this is not, we rarely delve into like real statistical analysis on this podcast because that's not what it's what it's about but he's totally flipped his profile around this year he's walking again this all of these stats are not sustainable he's not going to hit 370 this year sorry but he he, is going to hit 370 (laughs) he's literally chipper jones but a shortstop coming into the year he struck out 14 percent of the time and walked six percent of the time okay that's fine that's an above average contact rate and a slightly below average walk rate He's walking 17% of the time and striking out 9% of the time. He just flipped them. Yeah, he was basically just like, I'm just going to swing less, but when I swing, I'm going to make it count more. <laughs> <laughs> Why haven't more people tried this? Uh, it's it's literally like the most basic version of like the Little League, just think about it and do it mentality, where you're like, now that he knows what to do, he just does it. It's yeah. just like what, you know, it's like how when you're maturing at a young baseball age, it's like how you sort of learn like the mindset into where, where you're like you're thinking about your swing plane and you're thinking about how you want to hit the ball and what kind of pitches you have to do what with the bat it just all happened in the course of a, a in the course of his age like 27 season which just is i mean there are other late bloomers you know but it's just this has been so sudden and it's been under such a spotlight with the yankees and you know quite frankly like this very loaded yankees team this is just like icing on top you know what i mean like they they were never expecting this and obviously their offense is absurd like they just batted around jose Brios. sanchez hit two home runs judge hit a home run dd hit a bomb uh they were hitting doubles like even glaber torres was getting on base and and duhar can't miss anything these days i mean to have dd gregorius just being like one of the best hitters in baseball is just sort of like an F you to everyone else. Like It's just not really fair. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Aaron Judge has improved his approach at the plate, and so he's become a better hitter. Great. We all really needed that. We all wanted Aaron Judge to become better. It's literally like all of them, they just, like the Yankees coaching staff just downloaded the upgrades and gave it to them. And they're like, all right, you guys are better now. <laughs> yeah. It's that like all of their progress is so seamless in a way. Like, you know, Judge really struggled a lot when he came up. But then he was great last year, and he went through a couple slumps because he's, you know, a big swing power hitter kind of guy. But they're just doing all of the things that people prescribe good hitters to get better at to continue to improve. You know, like free swinging players, you kind of want them to improve their walk rate. And even though Judge walked a lot last year, now he's walking at like Harper Votto levels, you know, Votto MVP levels. And it's like you look at Aaron Judge and you look at he hits the ball. He has like a four over 400 uh, batting average on balls in play and you're like what is the only way you can get better while still swinging just as hard 
don't swing at bad pitches. And now he's just not. I just like, it's incredible how good this team is. And they're not even, they're in like third in their division right now because they got off to a slow start. Yeah, with Gary Sanchez and Giancarlo Stanton each batting like 200. (laughs) Yeah, Sanchez, who's just, he's just, he just realized he should just hit a home run every time now. Yeah. Which he's doing now. Yeah. Sanchez has run into bad luck and he's fine and he'll be okay. Stanton, it's like, it's still a little worrisome. I mean, he's, Stanton's going to be fine too, but like he's just look lost at the plate, man. He looks really bad. Yeah, it's not good. And it's not like a factor of bad luck either. Like he's just swinging at everything. And so maybe... He's literally it, swinging. He's striking out on like four pitches every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. And, you know, two or three of those pitches are just sliders that don't even start in the zone. So like... Whoever was catching for the Twins on Tuesday when I was there was having a hard time keeping the ball in front of him at the pitches that Stanton was swinging at repeatedly. And it's just, it's weird. I mean, I'm sure he'll run into a little bit of better luck um, in terms of the way that guys are pitching him. Like, he'll find more mistakes and he'll be Giancarlo. Like, you know, he hit that curveball, which was a major mistake. He hit it to, like, England. But other than that, I mean, if you have a good slider, a good tight slider that you can start on the outer half of the plate against him um you know if you're ready you can start on the outer half of the plate against him and just throw it so that it is in the opposite batter's box you're basically striking him out every time yeah and that's what Brios did yeah yeah the problem is he's just swinging at everything it feels like he is swinging at way more because he i don't know it almost feels like maybe he wants to match his performance last year because he's swinging out of his ass on every single pitch and i know that's like the Giancarlo way is just swing out of your yeah, ass that's and what it's he gonna does. go very far. <laughs> but he's doing that more. He's almost taken it up a level to the point where it's like, all right, you've you, the pendulum has swung too far in that direction where you've made yourself kind of unproductive, right? Because his walk rate has gone down and his strikeout rate has gone up, but like he's still hitting the ball hard and his BABIP is kind of right in line with his career. So it's not like he's just run into a bunch of bad lucks and the balls aren't falling. He's just striking out at everything. So yeah. Giancarlo notwithstanding, though, this team, their lineup is loaded. Severino is on track and really good. I want to talk about something a little a little past just, like, how good their team is. I want to talk about how really likable they are and being at a game, how kind of sad it was that I sort of felt like there's this pressure as, like, a Mets fan or as, like, anything but a Yankees fan to sort of hate them. And that's all well and good because you can hate the front office. You can... When, they, when they're signing guys like Giambi, it was very, or even A-Rod, it was very easy to hate them in the moment because they're just throwing a bunch of money at the problem and it feels like they have an advantage that everyone else does or everyone else does not. But with this team, it's like most of these guys are homegrown. Like, granted, the counter argument to that would be that they made a lot of financial mistakes that they were able to overcome and still keep a robust farm system because they didn't have to give away prospects to get off contracts and that kind of thing. Um, and that's an advantage that they would have over, I don't know, your run-of-the-mill small market team or your run-of-the-mill huge biggest market team that um, got screwed in the Bernie Madoff scandal. But I find it hard to dislike this team and being at the game, like, it was just sort of it was just sort of a sad moment for me. Like, I don't know how else to, to voice it other than, like, I love every single player on this team with the exception of Aurelis Chapman, and I didn't feel like I could really root for them. <laughs> it was weird. Because, <laughs> like, you know, we talk a lot about on this show about, like, rooting for good players rooting for great personalities and the yankees have all that it's bizarre i know like last year there was the sort of this is just a fun team like this is not the evil empire and then they went and got giancarlo and it kind of was the evil empire but with the exception of giancarlo like who else have they really gone and just given a bunch of money to 
no one. Yeah. The rest of their production is coming from guys who they called up. Yeah. Well, and and even with the Giancarlo thing, it's not like they went out and signed him as a free agent and just offered him more than it, right? It was a, I mean, obviously the Marlins wanted to get rid of him and he could, and the Yankees could afford to take on his contract. But yeah, baseball, it feels, is so stuck in its, uh, you know, for better or for worse. I'm not saying this is necessarily a bad thing, but it feels like more than any other sport, teams seem to hold on to their label of being disliked, right? Like the Red Sox are up there also with the most hated teams in baseball. And that has dogged them for decades. Uh, and same with and same with the Yankees, right? They have always been the evil empire. And they really always will be the evil empire, no matter what they do. And part of that is just the fact that they are good, and people tend to hate the team that is really, really good. But it really does feel like a lot of these labels tend to stick. Uh, whether or not the Cardinals and Cardinals fans and the Cardinals organization is bad doesn't really matter because it's fun to hit the Cardinals, right? Yeah. Well, it's fun to hit the Yankees because of their fans, too. They're the yes. snottiest, most entitled group of annoying fans in all of sports. Not yeah. even just baseball. It's it's all of sports. Yeah. They're kind of like Real Madrid in that way for all of my international soccer fans. The other thing with Yankees fans, though, is... And I noticed this because it was in such stark contrast to how I was feeling as a Mets fan in this last week with how they've sort of hit a bump in the road and their bullpen is kind of struggling. It's just, it's not comparable at all to be a Yankees fan or to be a fan of any other team. You know, I, especially with the Mets, but with all teams really, like baseball fan bases are so fatalistic. When things start to go wrong, most fan bases kind of think this is where it's going to unravel. When the bullpen starts to give up the game, they think, oh, nothing's ever going to be good again. No one f- ever feels good about when their bullpen or their closer comes into the game. And the Yankees fans aren't immune to that. Like when Dylan Batances came in the game on Tuesday and he was terrible. And the Yankees fans were like, oh, here this guy, here here goes this guy again. He's just going to blow it again. Let's get him out of here. But like when the Yankees fans see that something's going wrong for their team, they don't think that this is where things unravel. They think they're entitled to their team being incredible all the time and whereas with other teams it sort of feels like uh an inferiority complex and they always kind of think they have imposter syndrome like their team is just going to blow up in their face at any moment yeah it's like it's like the the rug's going to get pulled out from under us at this moment right the yankees fans are like we own the rug we own the house we own every single thing about baseball we own all these other teams we have more championships than the next five teams combined like and so they have like this very opposite superiority complex and they just sort of feel like they're entitled to winning and when someone is performing poorly they're like we're just going to replace you with someone else like we're we're fantastic and we're just going to replace you with someone else they don't put up with that bullshit and so i don't know it was just for me it was in very stark contrast to like they feel pride and other teams sort of feel guilt for like being good Yankees <laughs> yeah. fans feel pride when their team is great they're like yes you're living up to this legacy of babe ruth dimaggio Gehrig. Uh, mantle and when other teams when the Mets are really good I'm sort of like should I feel good about this like I kind of feel like I'm gonna feel guilty when they are losing seven out of ten games next week like yeah yeah it's yeah it very much I mean I know you can also you can relate to that as an ace fan too right it's like it's like being a fan of most teams it feels like every game is very much make or break right if you win the game it's like well it's just one game and if you lose the game, it's like we've basically lost the division, right? I mean, and and I don't. Th- I think fans are have different degrees of how much they actually internalize it or vocalize that sort of thing. Mets fans are notoriously like very outwardly fatalistic, right? And, yeah. on, and on Twitter, it's like they're never gonna. <laughs> 
they're never going to win another game again or something like that, right? Like, we've talked about that on this podcast before. Just go into Anthony DeComo's mentions, like, once. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so it's like the A's... The A's just took two out of three from the Rangers, but they lost the last game against the Rangers. And so you're like, Jesus, guys, like, it's a last place team. What does it say about us? Forgetting that, like, they played, you know, 667 baseball in that series, right? Like, net win, you can't win every game. But Yankees fans are like, no, you can. And we will. And we will find guys who will win. <laughs> Which is why you see guys like Giancarlo Stanton getting booed so much. It's because, like... It's, it's, it's really incredible it's, how and, much they're booing him. And it's really messed up because you don't do that. Like, I don't think that I would boo my own player unless they had done something, like, morally reprehensible. Yeah, I booed Familia last week. Yeah. When and, I was at the game. And that's good and fine. And you should, right? <laughs> you should boo Jose Reyes. I do. But I'm not going to boo... It's like... A couple years ago when Jim Johnson was still in the A's, and he was really bad. He was blowing most of the saves. (laughs) But A's fans would boo him, and I was like, this doesn't feel like a situation where I want to boo this guy. It feels like I feel really bad for him because I don't like seeing these players struggle, right? Um, You don't want to boo him, you just don't want him to come in at all. You don't want to have to get to that point. Yes, exactly. Like, I don't want him to make these mistakes. And so... It really hurts me. I don't know. Maybe it's just because maybe I'm too generous of a baseball fan. But even when there's like when the A's are beating up on an opposing pitcher, I'm kind of like, oh, but like this probably really hurts him, you know? Like when the guy leaves in the second inning and gives up seven runs, I'm like, oh, I feel terrible for those guys. Oh God, this this so hurts. But also, like I was a pitcher and I had outings like that where I just couldn't even get out of the second inning. Oh, it sucks. It's the worst thing ever. Yeah, it's just like you don't. You, you just get so mad at yourself that you start to tear up a little bit. You just want to throw things. Oh, my God. And you're standing on the mound, and it feels like everyone is just staring at you because everyone is staring at you, and they're thinking actively <laughs> about how bad you are right now. Yeah. Like, we can't find some scrub that's better than this guy. You yeah. Know, like... but, and so I think that most fans are pretty wary of that and try – and generally speaking, I don't think you see a lot of fan bases actively booing their own players or whatever – um, it's also like this very stupid New York thing, you know? Yeah. It's like, we're New York. If you can't make it here, then get out. If you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Like, But if, just if, a, you can, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, man. Start spreading <laughs> the new... <no. laughs> like, quite frankly, it's stupid, though. It, it makes for a worse fan experience for the people who are trying to remain level-headed by the rest of the fan base being like, hashtag Mets will never win ever again, you know? I don't know. It's frustrating to me because... Especially in the era of, like, beat reporters being in the locker room with, like, phones in everyone's faces. Like, you know, not every not every place is, like, New York with the media and whatnot. But pretty much every every player has to answer to the media every day. No matter if you play in Kansas City or you play in New York. You know, most players don't give a shit about the New York Post headlines. Like, let's just be honest. I don't think Giancarlo Stanton cares that the New York Post is running um, more like Giancarlo headlines... <laughs> in the second week of the season maybe he does but if so that's sort of kevin durantian and he shouldn't care about that um it goes back to that like weird entitlement that yankees fans have that they just feel like their players should always be good and when they're not they can just boo them because they have 27 rings bro yeah now i'm not gonna lie if i was a yankees fan i mean i wouldn't boo stanton or or think that like we deserve it or anything but i'd probably be like you would talk your shit. I'd yeah. be like, we're the Yankees. We'll be fine. Like, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. So if you talk to a Yankees fan now, they'll be like, 
and, and I, I know this firsthand because I've had this conversation with a friend of mine who I went to the game with on Tuesday. I've had this conversation with him so many times by being like, of course the Yankees are going to be good always. They have the most money. They spend the most money. They have the resources to be able to build up a foreign system. And if they miss on a player and they have to pay out the extra $80 million of Alex Rodriguez's contract over two years, like it doesn't hurt them. They can still get prospects and, and afford to wait to develop them because they can pay guys to fill minor league roles or to fill roles on the major league roster. And I'm making this like very nuanced argument. And he's just like, <laughs> the Yankees fans will be like, yeah, but look at the team now. It's all, it's all guys that we developed. It's all, it's all homegrown guys. It's all this, this, and that. And then they will do a complete 180 next year when they sign Harper. And they'll be like, well, it's not our fault. We're the richest franchise. We've just won the most. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like they have, they have their cake and they eat it too. And there's nothing anyone else can say because there is only one other team who has double digit world series titles and the Yankees have damn near 30. Yeah. So like (laughs) it's impossible to argue with them. Yeah, it's a very reductionist analysis, which is why the most interesting fan bases are the ones who don't swing too far to either end, right? They are not so self-deprecating that, like, they don't think anything will ever be good ever again, but they also think that everything will always be good forever, right? Because, like, you can't have a rational conversation (laughs) there when there's actually... No, we're looking at, yeah, we're looking at two different ends of a spectrum right now with the the Mets and the Yankees, and, like, neither of them are good. I hate, I hate Yankees fans, and I hate Mets fans. (laughs) I am, like, a huge Mets fan. Bleed orange and blue, whatever. And I hate being around other Mets fans. It makes me nauseous. <laughs> that's, why I like, that's why I like watching games with you. Because <laughs> you're an A's fan, so you, you know you know the pain, but you don't actually feel it in every second and express it <laughs> yeah. while we're watching Mets games. Yeah. <laughs> One of the negatives to being or trying to be a level-headed Mets fan on Twitter is that you see everyone's ridiculous reactions and you sort of feel this weird sense of maybe I should feel like this too. And everyone was freaking out about the the Matt Harvey situation with just in general, really, him going to the bullpen and saying, you know, I'm a starting pitcher. Uh, and then more specifically recently, Anthony DeComo, friend of the pod... <laughs> who has come up multiple times on this episode, he tweeted that Matt Harvey didn't want to talk to him or other reporters about his bad outing from the bullpen, and they came up to him, and uh, yeah, you have it in front of you. You want to read it? Yeah, so Anthony DeComo's tweet, which is what had Twitter in a tizzy the other day, was uh, Matt Harvey laughed audibly when approached by reporters today seeking comment about his bullpen debut, which, side note, did not go well. He was not very good out of the bullpen for his first, uh, yeah. Shocker. A guy who struggles in the first couple innings as a starter also struggles in his first (laughs) inning as a reliever. Um, So he said to reporters, no chance, zero chance. Uh, Harvey was asked why. Quote, I have nothing to say to you guys, he said. He was asked why not. Quote, I don't fucking want to. (laughs) It actually says, I don't, quote, expletive want to, but I'm going to assume that he didn't say I don't shitting want to. <laughs> I don't, I don't damn, damn want to. to. I don't damn want to talk to y'all. I don't asshole want to do this. <laughs> I don't freaking want to talk to you guys. <laughs> um, yes, so Twitter, as it does, got itself into a tizzy. And, you know, I often think that reporters find themselves too self-important in these moments where they're like, 
we have an obligation as members of the media to report on what goes on on a day-to-day basis. But like, I get that this is their job. You know, like they can do their job better if players are just willing to talk to them and give some uh, BS platitude that they say a thousand times on a daily basis. So I am sympathetic to the side of Twitter, which I think you are also in agreement with. That is like, who really cares, right? Who cares if he's mad and doesn't want to talk to the media? But on the other hand, it's like, I've made this argument a million times with Kevin Durant and Oklahoma City and Russell Westbrook and how they get mad at the media over petty shit and like they don't want to just answer the basic questions. And I am going to be a little like old man yelling at cloud with this. I'm going to be a little uh, like 1980s sports media glory days kind of analysis with this and be like, just talk like just talk to the media. It's part of your job. I, I I've made this argument so many times with Kevin Durant that like the media and covering baseball and covering basketball and the T V deals and all that stuff are the reason that these people even have jobs. So like the least that you could do is just say your basic platitudes and say, I don't really want to go further into it and take thirty seconds out of your day and not be an asshole to other people. If you're going to reduce it down to its very basic level, it's like just don't be an ass to other humans and reporters are also humans so just talk to them normally like it's not their fault that you sucked out of the bullpen yeah so i i agree with some of that but you know what i'll say is that i i disagree and that i disagree on the point that i think he should just suck it up and talk to the media because matt if you look at the the arc of matt harvey's career it has not been a fun one because he was called up right in 2013, 2012, 2013. Back 20, half of 2012. Yeah, he was called up in 2012. 2013 um, started the All-Star game. Yeah, exactly. Derek Jeter. And this is before... Greatest moment of my life. Yeah, this is before Syndergaard. This is before DeGrom. This is where Harvey is like the savior of the Mets, basically, right? He's the workhorse of the team and um, all these expectations put on him. Meanwhile, he's out doing his exploits in New York City. And so, you know, he is both the best and worst uh, player for, like, the New York tabloids, you know, because he thrives there. Um, But also the tabloids eat that shit up, and they dive on him and everything. And then he has, he basically has had, what, three or four years where he just has not been good because he has not been able to stay healthy. So what I will say is he has really, I think, fallen, like, his star has fallen so far that in your first game out of the bullpen and you don't perform poorly and you really don't want to be there, I think you are well within your rights to be like, nah, I have no comment. I don't want to talk about it. Now, what I will say... That's not what he said. I know. So he should have handled it better because in doing the whole thing where he's like, I don't effing want to talk to you, all of a sudden the spotlight's on him and it's like, oh, Harvey is such a dick. And, you know, every Mets fan on Twitter was like, we should just release the guy straight up. You know, I'm so glad when he won't be on the team anymore and blah, 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 because he brings this upon himself, obviously. But I get the sentiment and I don't think that he was wrong. He should have just been like, yeah, See, guys. I do. Like, I, I do think you have a responsibility to talk to the media. I don't, like, I think we forget that these people are humans at some point and that he has been beaten around by the tabloids so much and he's had such a struggle over the last three years that if you have a bad day, I think you're in your rights to be like, yeah, not today, guys. I think you're in your rights if they're, if the media is coming up to him and beating him around for, like, clubbing. 
if they're, they're if they're gonna come up to him and be like were you out late last night like that's that's a dumb question that's a clown question bro but if they're just gonna ask him about the literal game for a story that they have to write about the game and they're going to write about how harvey was bad because he came in at a critical moment in the game and he sucked i feel like it's nice to have a quote there i feel like bought the bosses of the reporters want a quote from matt harvey uh, yes but like okay so that quote is gonna be yeah, man, tough night tonight. Uh, not the outcome I wanted, but I'll get him next time. Like, really? That makes your story that much better than Harvey just being like, no yeah, comment. that's surprise stuff right there. <laughs> but I'm serious. Baseball players give such bad quotes 90% of but the time. It's not, that, about, like, it's not about whether he said no comment or not. I'm fine. If he said no comment, whatever. But it's, it's that he's exhibited the same attitude ever since he came up, and it's sort of infected the locker room in ways that are negative towards the media in general. Like, I'm pretty sure it was Anthony DiComo who told us, maybe on this podcast, whatever, um, or or has written about it or tweeted about it at some point, that the attitude towards the media from all the pitchers got negative when Matt Harvey got back into the locker room in 2015. And in 2014, when he was out with Tommy John and not with the team as much and not talking to the team as much, guys like Jacob deGrom, guys like, I guess Noah Syndergaard hadn't been called up yet, but you know, I guess DeGrom was the main example, were friendly, affable towards the media. And now it's just kind of like this toxic negative culture where the media and the players have to be at odds with each other. And I just don't think that that is how this relationship has to be. I think like the media, they're mostly just nerdy writers trying to do their job. They're not really trying to do, I guess in New York, maybe they are trying to do gotcha journalism a lot of the time, but like you're opening yourself up to gotcha journalism with this dumb shit. Like just say no comment just say i wasn't good tonight to every question that they ask just say i wasn't good tonight i should have been better i wasn't good tonight i should have been better like at some point it's not the media's fault that you're bad like and and you don't have to come at them with a negative like you don't have to come at them with such a like a negative tone that's bullshit they're doing their job too i and i'm not disagreeing with you on that like he should have treated them well because again all he does is make the atten- the story about himself, right? And then other Mets players are asked about, like, Harvey's attitude and, like, so what do you guys think, right? And, like, yeah, he handles this poorly. And he's uh, he's kind of a dick. Like, as much as I want to like him, right, he's a really hard player to like. He um, makes it so hard to root for him. Yeah. But at the same time, for all we, you know, uh, wax poetic on this podcast about, like, baseball players should, like, show more emotion. And, like, we like it when players aren't just, like, robots. Um, And then the guy comes out and is very visibly upset about his role and how he has performed. And he's like, yeah, y'all, I don't want to talk about this tonight. And Twitter is all like, release the guy. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. Let's not. Yes. I don't think that we need to use that type of tweet as a barometer for what the rational reaction to this is. I just think, personally, it's just a bad look. Like, it's a bad look on its face, I don't disagree with you. In the context of everything, just his general attitude towards the media, even when he was good, even when he was good, his attitude towards the media wasn't good. He, he wasn't, like, living it up. Like, he was just kind of still an asshole. So then why do you want the comment from him in the first place? Because he's he is a story. He's the story of that game. He wasn't going to give you anything good anyway. Mike, it's not like Mike Trout is ever saying anything scintillating after baseball <laughs> games. right? He's like, yeah, man, I tried to see the ball and I tried to hit the ball, and I did. But quite frankly, if one reporter has to get a phone call from an angry editor, why don't you have a Matt Harvey quote in this? Then it's bullshit. He just needs to answer. I, yeah, I just kind of disagree that like he has to do that every time. Like, Why are you not allowed to have an off night? Or be like, yeah, no, not tonight, guys. Like, Why can't you do that? Why can't you be like, yeah, I'm not having a good day. 
yeah, I'm pretty pissed off right now. And I don't really feel like talking. And then, and then the reporter goes to the editor and said like, Hey Bob, I'm sorry, but he didn't want to talk to any of us. Hey, I feel personally attacked. <laughs> hey Bob, I'm the reporter. At least I have an office or at least I'm the editor. At least I get an office with the door and the desk. <laughs> I, like, I'm in agreement with you on, like, basically 80% of what you're saying. I My point is basically just, like, if there's a night where he doesn't want to have to answer the questions, I think that he's entitled to that. Do you with, think that there are – but, okay, if that is the, the rule of thumb, though, that there's just nights that they don't feel like talking and they're fine to not talk, then no one would ever talk. When is there a night where a player feels like talking to the media? When they hit a walk-off Grand Slam? Like, when is a player going to want to talk to the media? Not to be the slippery slope guy, but – when would Matt Harvey ever talk to the media if he didn't have to? So because he had a bad outing, we're going to just let him off the hook? Kind of. Why? So we can only talk to him when he's good, so we can only write good things about him? He doesn't give a good quote anyway. It doesn't matter. He's not saying anything of substance. So, so But we can only quote him when he plays well then? That is, that's what you're saying. When If he has a bad night... And he doesn't want to talk to the media. Well, so when is he going to talk to the, when? When is he going to want to talk to the media when he plays well? So therefore, we can only have a quote from him in a game story if he plays well. I mean, I'm not trying to like manipulate your words. I know you're rolling your eyes, but like that—that that is what it is. He would not talk to the media ever if he didn't have to. Neither would you know a lot of professional athletes. And I think that talking to the media is an important part of sports journalism, which is something that I want to go into. Yes, I agree with you. I'm I'm just, I, I am defending his general mindset after one night. His right as a human not to have to say something. <laughs> yeah, that's all. I just think if you, if you look at like everything that has happened in his career and like he has, he's at the low point, man. Like <laughs> Matt Harvey has not been this low in his career. I am willing to cut him a little bit of slack on it. If you don't want to, that's fine. But I'm willing to be like, this guy is literally at the lowest of the low and really just kind of doesn't feel like chatting about it. That's And I feel like, yes, okay. I, like, because we've, we talk so much about like, oh, guys are too sensitive. And like, I saw relatively decently respected members of Mets Twitter be like, Harvey just needs to man up and talk to the media. And that's I'm, dumb. That's and not I'm what I'm not trying gonna... to say. I'm not trying to come at it from like the... He should just man up. He should just be, he should be a man. He should swallow his pride and he should swallow his feelings. Like, fine. If you want to express the fact that you're upset, whatever, express the fact that you're upset. Don't do it in a closed off way like that. Don't be like, no, no, fuck you guys. That's basically a fuck you guys kind of thing. Yes. No, that's literally what he said. (laughs) Again, not defending his choice of words. But he's just taking it out on the wrong people. Yeah. I'm bordering on the like just be better conversation like you wouldn't have to deal with this but we often have that we often say you know don't be bad and you won't have to get shown up right don't give up a walk-off home run and you won't have to see a bat flip on you yeah you know don't be bad in your relief performance and you won't have to hear a question that you don't want to hear yeah it just is what it is at some point you have to be accountable for your own actions not to be his mom (laughs) like most of Mets twitter but like in this specific instance that's where i'm at Damn, we've come a long way with him. I know. It sucks. I know, it does suck. It he's, really he's, sucks. He's my only Mets jersey. I have a, I guess I have a DeGrom giveaway jersey. Yeah. Maybe I'll start wearing that one a little more. Tone shift to Sad Bob now. <laughs> it's really Sad Bob in his sports editor office with his desk. Puts out the second name plate that's just sad in front of his name. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks, man. Yeah, yeah. I had like a very honest tweet from the Tipping Pitches account being like, in all honesty, like, it sucks how far down the rabbit hole we've gone with this guy. And yeah. just how, like, how legitimately electric it used to be when he was at his peak. Like, 
for all the talk about how he had his decline and him as a person and whether he's a jackass or not and his sort of off the field issues like at the end of the day we just lost a good baseball player like we just don't get to watch a baseball player be really good at what he does anymore and yeah. that sucks yeah that'd be like it's it's like i don't know it'd be like if justin verlander just stopped being good yeah that would suck for everyone yeah. no no one i mean i guess the al west would probably appreciate that for the year but in the long run not good for baseball yeah not good for baseball i think that there are a lot of people who are not shedding any tear you know tiny violin just because of his attitude right the whole time like if justin Ver, like everyone would collectively mourn justin verlander being bad like he's dying there's been a lot of justin verlander death talk on this podcast in the last two weeks which is weird (laughs) yeah but i think you have a lot of people and mets fans included who are just kind of like good riddance man like like you've been a you know the like the whole cancer to the clubhouse idea right and just be like i don't know generally i think that's too negative of a thing to say about a person that's a really awful thing to say (laughs) about a person uh whether it applies or not we can find a way to phrase that better yeah probably Bobby, it's been a it's been a very New York heavy podcast this week. Seriously, yeah, coastal elites. We've seen this podcast. We've really uh, crossed the spectrum from every uh, Yankees player is good and great to this specific Mets player is bad. <laughs> uh, at Pinstripe Alley, at Amazing <laughs> Avenue, <laughs> um, at in Mets we trust. At I'm just gonna <laughs> just, at Blog Boys hire us. Um, so we, uh, we got heated. We got in our feels this podcast. And before we wrap this up, we have to check in with our favorite New York baseball player. Affiliated. New York affiliated. Affiliated. (laughs) Soon to be, uh, his home. Don't say that. Uh, Timothy Tebow. Did you know that he's hitting 255 this year? That's actually good. He hit like 320 in the last (laughs) week. (laughs) He's striking out a significant amount of the time. He's Joey Gallo. I've, how many times do I have to call him Joey Gallo before you acknowledge that progress in baseball is not linear? <laughs> I'm going to make a t-shirt with the phrase, progress in baseball is not linear. Kind of like in that really dramatic quote style with like the silhouette picture of Tim Tebow above it. I can see it in my head right now. It's going to be beautiful and we're going to sell those <laughs> and make money. So that we can rent a studio. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I'm all for it. We're not always going to have access to this very remote room that we're in in an NYU journalism building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, I don't think that 444 BABIP is really sustainable. Or and that uh, he's 40% strikeout rate. Yeah, it's not going to take you very far. Holy he's striking shit. out every other plate appearance. That's insane. Yeah, you know he's 444 wa- BABIP. Yeah, he literally is Aaron Judge from the left side of the plate. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, How's his walk rate? How's he seeing the ball? You know, honestly, he's walking like 10% of the time. Tim Tebow is the three true outcomes hero that we need. <laughs> I know. We just need him to flash a little bit more of that power. He's flashing like league average power right now, a.k.a. one home run. <laughs> but he's got four doubles, so we'll take it. I wonder if he was doing ESPN NFL draft coverage today, so he had to miss the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, man. Yeah, if he's not, he's just that guy who's, like, checking his phone in between innings in the dugout. That was me while we were recording this podcast. Yeah, I know. He's doing better than we could have ever asked for. And honestly, it's good for the brand. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to lie. We are the Tebow guys. We are at this point. I've this is come... the, this is the anchor around our ankles as a podcast. <laughs> I've come full circle. At first, I like leaned into it, and then by like the off season, I was like, oh, "God, we've had enough of Tebow." And now I'm just like, you "Might as well just enjoy it while we can." Right? This is like the arc of national media with Tebow too. Yeah. Everyone was like, he was like hundred percent approval rating right after that Florida speech. The I I will you will never see a player play harder in college ever again or something like that. Yeah, it was like everyone was like I would literally go to war with this man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you know the fatigue set in and now we're back, man. We've arrived. Although I feel like most people still feel the fatigue. Yeah, probably. Honestly, it's hard for me to fight it sometimes too. The thing is, most people don't know that he's hitting two fifty five. <laughs> two fifty five. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah. He should be on the Yankees. That power play up there. Yeah. How do you, how do you, who can we get for him? Who could the Mets get for Tebow? Um, I'm thinking like Clint Frazier, maybe. I was just gonna go all the way and say Glaber, frankly. <laughs> I mean, l- grab Luis Severino while we're at it. Yeah, yeah. Tebow for Severino, straight up. Who says no? <laughs> all right, we need to stop because this is descending into madness, and we've been going on for so long, and I'm so hungry and so tired. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like my life motto. It's like it's been going on for so long, and I'm just so hungry and so tired. <laughs> All right, well, if you listened all the way through this, uh, Props. That's, yeah, it's better than I could say for myself. As most of you will know, you can reach out to us uh, at Gmail at tippingpitchespod at gmail.com or on Twitter, tipping underscore pitches. Um, we are available on basically any podcast app that you could want. That's a normal podcast app that most people listen to their stuff on. Um, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Radio Public. Um, I think that about does it. Or you can find us on our website, tippingpitches.adivis.com. This has been a promo. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to add, Alex? I don't think so. I'm excited to watch Acuna. That's about it. Yeah, let's do it. By the time we come back, he's going to be like the best player in baseball. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) All right, y'all. We will see you next week. New York, New York.